So I remember it fairly well. It was about the year 2005. Um, our student pastor at the church I was previously at, previously at had left, which left me as the interim student pastor. We had about 150 high school students in our student ministry at that time. And oddly, after kind of left, we started to grow. And we had over we had a special night. We had over 200 students in the room. And have you ever heard of this term? I don't, I don't, know, if you've, I don't know if this is a Southern term. That's where I was serving at the time. Have you ever heard the term acting a fool? Have you ever heard that term? Everybody in the room was acting a fool, right? Like all the students were being crazy, out of control. I remember sitting up front. I'm getting ready to preach and teach the students. I remember, I remember sitting up thinking, nobody in this room loves God at all. I, I remember sitting up front in, in genuine frustration thinking, what is the point of this? The next generation is ruined, right? There's nobody that loves God, nobody that desires God. What is even the point of me doing this right now? Anybody judging me right now or with me, right? I remember these kind of feelings stirring up inside myself. And then as I was standing there, I was thinking about the sermon and what I had to do and what was going on. I remember just kind of settling my soul. That happens sometimes. I do that quite, fr- quite frequently. Settling my soul and remembering some truths. And one of the truths that I remembered was this in that moment as I was sitting there. And it was like the Lord spoke it over me. He said, Ryan, nobody in this room is worshiping me right now. Will you? And I remember just responding to God, yeah, I'll worship you right now. And then he said, are you going to preach today to them or for me? And I said, oh, I guess I'll preach for you. And that day I made a commitment that I was going to bring a sacrifice of praise to God in that room, whether or not anyone else did. That I was going to worship God because he was worthy of worship. So we're entering into a study in the book of Habakkuk. And in this book of Habakkuk, he is going to make some pleas. He's going to um, make some, uh, yeah, make some pleas before God. Now, Habakkuk is a different book um, than all the other prophets because Habakkuk complains to God. Now, I don't know if you kind of feel uncomfortable with that, but complaining to God is a bit of a dangerous task to do, right? Anybody with me? And in this, he's going to make a complaint to God. And now there's a principle in here that Habakkuk did something right, because there's a principle in life that if you haven't got, I'm just going to help you out today, that we should always gripe up, right? We should always gripe up. And so it works like this in my home, that if I go to my children and say, hey, your mom, she's ridiculous, huh? Did you hear what she asked me to do the other day? Come on, lady. I can't believe she did it. Now, is there any tension with this, right? Like, there's a problem when I gripe to my children about my wife. Why? Because that's not appropriate, right? So if you gripe to your children about your wife, you should stop it. And so that's just free advice this morning. Um, but but what, what, what Habakkuk does is appropriate. He gripes up. You got a problem with God? Stop talking to your neighbor about it. Stop talking around. Go to God. And Habakkuk does this. He goes to God. And so in this, he, 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 he takes his complaints up to God. Now, the book of Habakkuk is going to re- lead from frustration 
to faith. And so if you could kind of take a picture of his countenance at the beginning of the book and his countenance at the end of the book, it's going to be consternation at the beginning of the book, and it's going to be a humble smile and peace at the end of the book. But the beauty of this is there's a process that we must go through. Now, I believe in process. I think process happens. I think a lot of our conflict happens because we don't let each other be in process. And so sometimes, I don't know if you've ever been angry or frustrated or upset. Anybody in the room ever been in those places? Okay, just checking, making sure I'm actually talking to human beings. And so, and so we've all been in these places, right? And there's a process that we have to go to. It's not something you turn on and off like that, but it's a process we go through. And what is beautiful about the book of Habakkuk is, one, we get an insight into the people of Israel. We get an insight into God's judgment that is coming toward them. But we also get an insight of a man processing with God his complaints and God's responses and back and forth. And so where we find ourselves in the book of Habakkuk at this point is, is sort of this. So God creates everything. Man rebels against him and falls. Then we have Noah and the ark. We have Babel. We have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. And then we have the exodus of the people of Israel after their captivity. And their exodus, they wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and they take the promised land, and then they have conquest after conquest after conquest. And then at that time, they say, God, we want kings. And so or they, they, well, then judges are appointed, and then there's kings, and then there's Saul and David and Solomon. And then the kingdom divides into a northern and southern kingdom. The northern kingdom in time and the southern kingdom begin to disregard God. And this is kind of the fall of lots of reasons that I can't get all into today. But there's lots of reasons. And there's a fall. And the Babylonians, the Chaldeans are going to come. They're going to take over both these places, the northern and southern. Now, the northern in the book of Habakkuk is already done. Like It's already been taken. Southern is about to be taken. And in this, God is basically making the prophetic statement of this is coming your way. The contemporaries are going to be Jeremiah and Daniel. Jeremiah kind of threw out Daniel a little bit after this proclamation. And so this is kind of contextually where we find ourselves in the book of Habakkuk. Paul, the apostle Paul, is going to verify, right, that this is a book of the Bible. This is authoritative, and we'll also see it throughout. But, and Paul will quote it two times, and it's 2-4, which is the key text of the entire, in the, the entire book. And it is this, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, as a congregation, as the church, we are a collective body. But we're a collective body that have resolved, I believe, one thing. And that individually, we have resolved that I have been made righteous and I am going to live my life by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Christianity is made up of many individuals who have chosen their life, in their life to live by faith in their God. So, again, this book, and then kind of inside this book, there's going to be a messianic pointing at the end of the book. And the messianic pointing of, to Jesus is going to, um, he's going to make this allusion in his prayer. And this prayer that he's going to make is that there's going to be a future exodus that looks like the past exodus and the parting of the Red Sea. And in this future exodus, there's anointed one. There's an anointed one who will be, and that person is Jesus. So Jesus is right here prophesied in the book of Habakkuk. So one of the things about Habakkuk is he doesn't accuse Israel, but he takes his complaints directly to God. This book is kind of known as a lament, uh, a taking injustice and violence to God in distress or hopelessness. So the makeup of the book is like this. 
Habakkuk is going to complain to God. God's going to respond. He's going to make another complaint to God. God is going to respond. Then God is going to go into five woes. And these five woes are basically murderous injustice that we have seen over and over in time in history and that we still see them today. So the five woes, and then the end, there's a prayer, and a prayer that Habakkuk prays, or a psalm that Habakkuk prays to God. And so that's what we're going to walk over over the next, walk through over the next few weeks. So this morning, let's begin by reading Habakkuk 1, 1 through 11. Habakkuk 1, 1 through 11. So if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat ahead of you, and if, uh, and if you... Uh, you can look on the screens, but what, what is our tradition here is we stand in reverence and honor of reading God's word. So if you will stand this morning with us as I read to you Habakkuk 1, 1 through 11, which reads, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth, perverted. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if, if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans that bitter and hasty nation (coughs) who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from, from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Father, teach us today from your word who you are, who you would have us to be, Lord, teach us by the power of your spirit, we ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So at the beginning of this, there's this kind of, the verse one is a verse that we might look over too quickly. So it says, right, verse one, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Now that word oracle is a different word. The word is Massah in the Hebrew. And Massah is a word that has this other kind of weighted meaning, literally weighted, oracle. It is the burden, right, that Habakkuk the prophet saw. That there was a burden placed on his life that was different than everyone else's. It was a burden for his people. And as he had this burden for his people, he was going to God on their behalf. Now, God's response, what we already see, is that his burden... Although God was going to act, it wasn't going to be in the way that Habakkuk thought. See, I believe that in our life, when we hear the word burden, we typically think of negative connotations, right? And anybody in this room have some burdens, right? We have burdens. All of us have burdens. But I believe there's a positive burden. I believe it's the kind of burden that 
that, that David said, oh Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. This burden that God places upon us and this burden when God places it upon our lives, it sets course for our life in a different way for his will and his good work. You see, I believe we live in a day where too many people have unworthy burdens. Things that capture them and captivate them and that we think about all the time that are not worthy of our God. Because our burdens, they drive us, don't they? Our burdens, they drive us in life to chase after this or that or the other. I know for me that God put a burden on my life when I was 21 years old. And that burden he placed on my life was to, be a, to, to, to teach and proclaim God's word, to see movements of the gospel launched, that more and more people to the ends of the earth could know and believe and trust in the name of Jesus. God put a call in my life into gospel ministry as a pastor. Now, I believe that's one form of many, but I believe that every believer, right? Every believer, every person who is trusted, God, God could and will grant us with a burden. I have a couple with us today that I want, to, I want you to hear their burden. So Steph and Sid, if you'd come up, share with us. Steph and Sid, um, we met, uh, Steph and I met about six years ago. Um, she um, was attending here and she felt a call to be a Bible translator um, all over the world. There's um, how many, how many, how many, how many people groups don't have the Bible translated in their own language? Well, there are about 7,000 languages, which means millions of people, and about 2,000 of those languages have the whole Bible, and 2,000 of those have nothing at all. So 2,000 languages, people groups that have no language at all. And so Steph and Sid, so we, we met, and she ended up, we helped her get to Thailand, and then she got to Thailand and then met this wonderful man. And... Uh, and so we did, uh, we, we, we Skyped premarital counseling as he was in a country, she was in a country, and I was here. So kind of a three-way premarital counseling thing. And then we, we did that, and uh, they got married right here. And now they live in, uh, in a country um, where they are responsible to see 20 unreached and unengaged people group have the Bible translated in their own language. So I'd love for you guys to talk about your burden because I believe you have a worthy burden in which you are willing to sacrifice much for. Yeah, as um, Stephanie and I were born in different countries and uh, uh, we come from different cultures um, and we have different stories as we were growing up, we, but we share the same burden, the same worthy burden, which is uh, translating the scripture into the languages uh, into the communities that don't have access to the scriptures. Um, uh, so I have a, a story uh, briefly that uh, when I was 18 and 19, that was the first time I've ever seen the Bible. Um, and I wasn't a believer. Um, so I, I, that was the first time I, I saw the Bible, the scripture in my language. Um, and, uh, and after that, that I, was, uh, I came to the translation process and I became a translator and, um, and I became a believer. Um, and this language that I uh, speak as a mother tongue is spoken over 10 million people. So generation and generations uh, that passed away that didn't have 
uh, the scripture, word of God in, in, in my language. Um, and there are still, as you mentioned, that 20 uh, linguistics or ethnic groups are uh, in that region, in that area that in the country we are serving don't have scripture. And there are in millions. Um, yeah. They're not small communities, but they are large uh, communities. So, so that's our main burden, to translate the scripture into those languages um, uh, so they have access. Uh, not only they have access, but they are able to use those uh, scripture in, in, their, um, uh, in their lives, and then their lives are transformed. So that, that's our main burden. Um, uh, most of you here have the scripture, and then maybe you don't have this imagination that people in the world don't have the scripture in their own languages. Um, uh, so that's, uh, that's a huge thing. Well, and, I, and I think what's unique about this is what, what they do is, uh, there's a lot of Bible translators all over the world, um, which is an amazing feat, but they, they're sort of that and. Um, and so they're not only committed to the translation of the Bible into tongues, but they are into making disciples and seeing people not just only have the word, but have the savior of the word and being dwelt with the presence of the Holy Spirit to be indigenous transformers of their own culture. And so the work they're doing is significant in, in the region of the world that they've in place. And so they, they are, um, will you share a little bit about where you are and what you guys do? So we're in West Asia, and there's about 200 million people in our country, and less than 2% of them are Christians. There's two major religions there, and in our area, um, they're completely in darkness. They have had no interaction whatsoever with scripture. And so that's where we've been placed, and God has put us, and um, we just seek to be tools and see what God is already doing there and how we can be a part. Yeah, and so we, we're, we're just grateful to be a part of, of what God is doing in your life. I mean, I speak on behalf of the congregation. We, like, applaud you, and we, yeah. Um, Thank you for supporting us. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, as you give to North Canton, you give to them. They were just, we were just eating the other night, and they've had a shortfall come in their institute. So it's not just them. They have a whole staff of people that work to do this in um, their country, and so they have a $20,000 shortfall this year because of some funding changes that have happened. And it costs, hear this, get this number, it costs $40,000 a year to do the work of taking, the, of bringing the Bible to 20 different people groups. So if you got a check, just come down to hand it to them today. 20 to 40K will do, right? Is that good? Yeah, so I'm not joking. And so uh, uh, we want to pray for you. And so if I could just pray for you guys right here, that'd be great. But we, we love you. And so if you will, let's bow together, pray over them this morning. Father, we are grateful for Steph and Sid. Lord, we're grateful for, for what you're doing in their life and how you've set them apart. You've burdened their heart. Lord, in much danger. but Lord, you've given them great faith. And so we thank you for who they are. We thank you for, for the burden you've placed on their life. And we thank you that not only have you placed this burden, but you do resource them to achieve all that you've asked. And so Lord, it is by faith that we ask that you'd continue to resource them and give them everything they need to see many people come to know you, Jesus. Lord, would you increasingly break our hearts for those who don't know you, who do not have access to you, we thank you that you, get a, you let us partner with such incredible people to that end. 
Lord, bless them today. Continue to anoint their ministry, their lives. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's thank them one more time for coming today. Well, as we continue to look at the text today, one, this is just a great, um, as I was looking at the text, I was like, wow, what a great opportunity for them to come and be life examples of worthy burdens on our lives and challenge us to go after these things more. But, but in this text, let's just look at it again. So it says the oracle, the Habakkuk, the prophet saw. And then verse 2 through 4 is going to kind of express Habakkuk's complaint. So he's going to make a complaint. And his complaint to God is going to look like this. He says, oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear me? He's saying, I've been doing this for a long time, God, and you are deaf. Pretty strong statement to say to God. Or cry to you violence and you will not save. God, you see people being harmed and you don't act. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? The word idly is kind of a pretty strong word of saying, God, you're sort of ho-hum in heaven, distancing yourselves, yourself. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contentions arise. And then he summarizes kind of his accusations, his complaint in verse 4. He says, so the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. So there's three things in his complaint. The first, he says, your word is neglected. He says, no one loves your word. No one honors it, right? He says, verse four, so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. God, you're disregarded. Your word is. And he says, there's only violence and corruption for the wicked surround the righteous, Right? There's only corruption. Even around your righteous, the wicked are imposing in. They can't escape. We can't get away from this. And then the third, he says, everyone is corrupt. He says, justice never, justice goes forth perverted. Everyone is corrupt. Even the leaders are corrupt. So, so the point in this, and maybe this, so he makes these complaints. Now, I believe that God can handle anything that we bring to him. I believe that with all my heart. But I believe there's something unique about Habakkuk that we'll see in the total of this verse. So for us today, it's okay to complain to God. He can take it. But you only can complain if you're willing to listen to him. This works this way in my house. Like You can complain to me all day long. I'll take it. But if you're not going to listen to me, you're not complaining, right? You're just... You're just, you're not looking for truth. You're just voicing your stuff. And so there's a heart inside of this that if you're going to complain, you better be ready to take whatever's dropped in your mailbox. Will you receive from God? So I believe that this man was making a genuine cry to God of what he observed. And I believe he's going to process through this of a genuine answer from God in which he accepts. The question is, if you bring an accusation against God, are you willing to listen and to learn from what God has to say? Or you, will you just remain jaded in your own opinions, in your own stances? Anybody with me today? 
And so here he's saying, right, so it's okay to be honest with God only if you want to actually hear from God. So God's response, Habakkuk 1, 5 through 11. Here, he says simply, verse 5, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. What he says is open up your eyes and see, look among the nations and see, look and see what God is doing in this world. You are so focused inwardly looking at yourself and your own life that you can't see outside of your life of the great work of God. I believe today we could do the same thing, right? I I could say it about North America today. Nobody loves God's word. There's violence and corruption around us. Everyone is corrupt from political leaders to leaders all over our nation. It's a mess. Anybody with me? His complaint, it may have been way back. The people of Israel and the Chaldeans and like this goes way back. I believe God's response to him is the same as it is to us. Open up your eyes and see. Look among the nations and see. Then he says, wonder and be astounded. Wonder and be astounded. Not Don't just look, but when you really look, when you get your eyes off yourself, when you get your eyes on God, when you really look, you're going to wonder. It's kind of like your jaws open a little bit. And be astounded. Your jaw drops to the floor. You're going to be in such awe and amazement of what God is doing and has done and will do. You'll hear stories and stories and stories and stories and stories of a God who is moving, who is not dead, who is alive and who is active and is way bigger than your tiny little life. But here, he's looking very narrowly in instead of looking outwardly at God. And God is going to remind him that I am far bigger than you. I'm a God of time and history. You are just one generation. I am far bigger than you. And my breath doesn't just see this generation, but sees every generation. And then he says, I am doing something in your days. So God's response, open up your eyes and see, wonder and be astounded. I am doing something in your days. And again, he says, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. See, God is at work, just not always in the way we would prefer. So let's keep reading the text. So verse six, he says, for behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. Just imagine just the, the context of this. So like if I was speaking of my mother, mom, I love you if you're going to listen to this later, said, for behold, I am raising up your mother, that bitter and hasty woman, right? It'd be terrible, right? I mean, this, these are strong words about this nation that he is rising up. Bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards. Listen to the analogies in this. The the most swift animal, that's what they're like with their warring. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press 
proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward, meaning when they look ahead, all that they see is how they can be violent. They gather captives like sand. At kings, they scoff, and at rulers, they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. So in this text, what he says is your nation, your people that you're crying on behalf of, they're going to be destroyed. And I'm going to use, and notice the last words in the verse, in this text, (coughs) verse 11, then they sweep by like sand and go on, guilty men whose might is their God, meaning these are godless people, and I'm going to use them to wipe out your people. See, because his people had come to a place where they disregarded God, they disregarded his word, they disregarded his anointed, and they did what they want, when they want, how they wanted to, and they no longer were lovers of God, although they were the covenant people of God. Just really quick, if God wanted to drop every one of us dead in this room right now, he'd have every right to do so. He is our creator, he is our sustainer, and he is our maker. And God has a long track record of being a just God, of being a God of vengeance, and a God of mercy. Vengeance is not ours, but vengeance is his. And the workers of iniquity and the the workers of sin, they will be punished. Now, I know that's a hard message to hear in a society that loves, 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 loves. Yet, oddly, all that we see is hate, 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 hate. But God is a God who is truly holy and he is righteous. And in his holiness and righteous, those who disregard him, including the Chaldeans, they will be dealt with, but he is going to use the wicked to deal with the, with the people of God. And then later, he will deal with the wicked in and of themselves. God is God and can do what he wants. So God is at work, just not always in the ways we would prefer. We are not God. His ways are not our ways, yet we trust him because he has a proven character that he is trustworthy of tr- that he is worthy of trust and placing our faith in him. So, what's our response? We're going to dig into this in greater depth in the next 3 weeks, but for us today out of this What is our response? I believe one first is give me a worthy burden. Maybe a prayer that you could pray to God this week, but simply God, give me a worthy burden. I believe that in every person that has repented of their sins and turned to faith in Jesus, that they are indwelt. Scripture says that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, meaning that God lives inside of you. And I believe because of that, there's a thing that, I would call MDNA. MDNA is like this, that you have missionary DNA indwelling your very presence, the moment, the very life, the moment that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. 
Meaning that God is going to give you missionary dreams and missionary visions, maybe right here at home, maybe right in your neighborhood, maybe in your soccer club, maybe in your your sports club, maybe at your rec, maybe at your work, whatever it is. But God's going to give you dreams and visions to work and live for his glory. But the question is, will we listen to his voice or will we lay it aside. I believe that we have missionary DNA inside of each and every one of us, meaning that God wants to lay a burden upon our life that we might serve him. Scripture says that we are a royal priesthood, meaning that we all play in this great work of our God in our time, in our day. So I believe one of our prayers we could pray is simply this, God, give me a worthy burden. The second is help me to live by faith Help me to live by faith, right? Faith is not about the measure of faith that you possess, but faith is all about the object of your faith. Now, I'm very blessed to be married to a woman named Deborah Johnston. Debbie is an incredible woman, and I am, I am so grateful that God has placed her in my life. And now that we're having five kids, she truly will never be able to leave me. And so <laughs> it's a tactic, keeper. And so... Uh, but there's something on our wedding day that I did. I placed my faith in her, right? I placed my faith in her and I placed my trust in her with me, my emotions, my feelings, right? Knowing that if she were to ever hurt me, I would be hurt with a hurt that's unlike any other in this world. And some of you have experienced that. That's why divorce is so hard because we placed our faith in someone who hasn't come through. Anybody in this room ever placed your faith in someone that didn't come through? It hurts, right? All of us have. People that hurt us. What I say is this is true to our faith in the Lord. That the one in whom we place our faith in is the one, right, the object of our faith. This is... This is the one who needs to come through. And so the question comes, do you trust the one in which you placed your faith in? Do you believe that if you place your faith in God, if you place your faith in Jesus, that he will come through? I have some really good news for you today. He has a long track record of coming through. The prophecies made in this book, guess what happened to all of them? They came to be. And I'm not just talking as a Bible guy. I'm just talking straight up history. Everything that was said in this book has come to be, and there's just a few things that haven't. God is a God who comes through. God is a God who can be trusted. And so the object of our faith, it matters. And so when we say that we will live by faith, it means that we will live trusting in the object of our faith to come through for us. Scripture also says that it just takes a little bit of faith faith of a mustard seed to move a mountain. So the question would be, have you placed your faith to save you in Jesus? And are you placing your faith today in Jesus to live for him, his ways, and his purposes in this world as he unleashes each and every one of us with his missionary DNA to do great and mighty things for him? And then last, to finish, pray. Help my frustrations not lead to fear. See, it's one thing to be frustrated. 
but it's another thing to live in fear. See, I believe that we can do the same thing that we tend to kind of see underneath Habakkuk in his complaint. There's this strong language that is fearful. Help my frustrations not lead to fear. I don't think it's a bad thing to say, God, your word is neglected and it bothers me. I don't think it's a bad thing to say there's only violence and corruption. I don't think it's a bad thing to say everyone is corrupt from my eyes. But I believe when we begin to live in fear of these things, it can paralyze us to inaction. And so we pray and we say, God, help my frustrations not lead to fear, not lead to stopping me from acting upon you. So again, it is one thing to be honest with God. It is another thing not to trust in God and to come to a place where you are captivated by fear. So our prayer this morning, before we sing our last song, maybe our prayer would be something like this. Lord, open up my eyes so that I can see that around me. Lead me to wonder and be astounded by you, God. Maybe a declaration of saying, I believe that you are doing something great in our day that is beyond our comprehension. I believe that this morning, that in the book of Habakkuk, written in ancient times, years ago, that God has a message for us. I believe he's going to speak to us over the next few weeks in very, very contemporary ways. I hope you join us on this journey as we press into him We hear God speak. I want to pray over us now before we respond. Father, we love you. Lord, we believe that you are at work in this world. We thank you for the last weeks of how we've seen it. God, we've seen missionaries all over the world, people right here in our midst, in our counties, working and serving you. God, we look around our world and it is disconcerting to say the least. But Lord, in our hearts and our lives, would you stir up one, two, three, hundreds maybe of us that make simple commitments? Maybe simply, Lord, that we just say to you that, that if no one else will worship you, we will. Simple commitments of saying, Lord, give us a worthy burden. Help us to lay aside trite, dysfunctional dreams. Forgive us for talking about things that don't matter. Give us a worthy burden, God. Something that matters for your kingdom, for your glory, for your honor, for your fame, for your renown. Lord, help us to live by faith. Help us to trust in you. And Lord, help that trust in you move us from fear to faith. Lord, we love you. Help us to respond well as we sing. And I ask this in Jesus' name.